0: Uh, today, my topic actually is one that's been on my heart for quite a while, and, uh, it's a great opportunity to share it with you, and it's basically around the question, where is God? And that's a question that I think many of us have probably asked at one time or another, probably more than once. Uh, for some, it's sort of an intellectual or theological question about where God is located, um, but usually it comes up in the case of some sort of disaster that has occurred. uh, Sometimes a natural disaster like uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, fires, like the wildfires out uh, uh, that are going around in uh, so many places. Um, Those things where people lose lives and property. And um, we also think of the question when there are acts of violence that occur. Um, wars with civilian casualties, uh, mass shootings that can happen in workplaces, night spots, stores, schools, and even churches. And now we have mass stabbings that happen. And then terrorist attacks are another example, that uh, one that uh, many of us are worried about these days. Events like this make us wonder why such terrible things can happen to innocent people and can lead us to ask the question, about where is God that things like this occur. Sometimes the question comes up in things that are more personal, though. Uh, Sometimes when we see things that happen right in front of us that we think aren't right. Uh, My family and I actually had an experience uh, with this uh, not too long ago, actually on Thanksgiving night. We had um, went to dinner at my aunt's in New Jersey, had a wonderful time, good food and fellowship and uh, we had gotten in the car to head back to New York City, Um, got on the highway, and for some reason, the car wasn't speeding up to match traffic uh, the way it should and just died. Luckily, we were not far from the house where we'd had Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, my cousin and his girlfriend came by, and they were just uh, an amazing blessing to us. Uh, They stayed with us while we uh, were there trying to have the car towed, on Thanksgiving night, the busiest travel day of the year. Um, And after several hours, they were just with us, making sure that we were okay and warm, directing us as to where we could have the car towed in a place that they knew. Um, And then were able to drop us off at uh, Penn Station in Newark just after 3 a.m. I don't know how many of you have been to a train station at 3 a.m. It's a much different place than it is during the day. And what we saw there, and on the train, the path train back to New York City and the subway back to near where we lived, were the many faces of homelessness. Lots of homeless people in the station, some that had all their worldly belongings in bags surrounding them, some who were dealing with mental illness, And sometimes the hygiene issues that come with that. And then when we got on the train, we saw some of those people. And we also saw a different face of homelessness. We saw these, uh, you know, fairly reasonably dressed, uh, clean-cut men who were sitting up on the train seat, asleep. Might have just thought that they were people just uh, dozing off on the way back home late, except... Their backpacks were a little too big and a little too full. And uh, when the train reached its last stop, they didn't get off the train. They were sitting up asleep um, to avoid the problems that come. Because if you lie down on the train and try to sleep, that tends to uh, bring police attention because they think you're not supposed to be there. Whereas if you're sitting up, again, somebody might think you're just on the way somewhere and you've dozed off a bit. But in point of fact, there were more homeless people in the station and in the trains than non-homeless people at three in the morning on Thanksgiving night. It led me to really think about my blessings. I just come from, you know, despite the fact my car broke down on the highway, um, I just come from a wonderful dinner, good fellowship, on the way home, albeit late, and these were people who didn't have anywhere else to go. And to be honest, I thought about that and wondered where God was in all of this. Sometimes we face things um, that happen right in front of us. We know they're not fair. We know they're not right. And we ask, where is God? But sometimes it's even more personal than that. Things that happen to us. Things going wrong in our lives. It could be a loss. Loss of a loved one. Job. Relationship. Could it be financial stresses, other personal stresses, serious illness. Perhaps it's a blessing that we thought was coming that just didn't come. A situation that didn't go the way we wanted it to go, or maybe even needed it to go. Maybe it's prayer that seems to go unanswered, or for us, we get the wrong answer. All of these things and many more can often lead us to feel very alone and to wonder where God is. But luckily, as Christians, you know, for difficult questions, we can often turn to Scripture for answers. So, I'd like to explore this question of where God is in the reading that we heard this morning. I'll talk a little bit more. So uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 16, uh, where Paul's in Athens. Uh, Please feel free to follow along in your own Bibles, whether you're digital or analog. And uh, we've got Bibles in front of you in the pews downstairs, somewhere on the pews near you upstairs. So I invite you to follow along with us. Now, while you look for the text, let me just tell you a little bit about Athens. Because Paul is visited, visiting Athens to spread the good news. And Athens in the ancient world was a famous city. Famous for a number of reasons. It was famous for as being a place for education, culture, philosophy. Many of the famous ancient philosophers uh, were fr- either from or taught in Athens. Uh, Athens was a home of many great institutions of learning. People came from all over around the world to study in Athens. And although at the time Paul went there, the city was somewhat in decline, it still had this amazing reputation. A famous city, known for its great thinkers, artists, and writers. An intellectual and cultural center for the world. Sound like any place we know? Sometimes um, the ancient world is not as different as the modern world as we might think. So let's go to the scripture. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks and in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Athens was a city full of idols. In fact, some ancient writers estimate that there were 30,000 idols in the city of Athens. It's a big number. In fact, it was known also as a city where there were more idols than people because the population at the time was only about 20,000. 30,000 idols. And you know, those are just the physical ones, the ones that were made by human hands. Of course, there are other kinds of idols. Um, you know, one of the things is that anything that you focus most of your time and attention on could actually be an idol in your life. Both kinds of idols can get in the way, can get between us and God. Uh, sometimes when we're wondering where God is, it might be because there's an idol in the way, diverting our attention distracting us from seeing God. It's always a good idea to consider whether or not we have idols like that in our lives. Athens was also a city where discussions on important issues happens in different places. You know, Paul, when he'd gone to other cities before he went to Athens, uh, usually would go into the city and he'd go to the Jewish synagogues to preach and talk to the religious leaders and the people. Uh, if there was a church in that city, he would go there too, of course. Um, but in Athens, he also went to the marketplace. Because the marketplace in Athens was a little bit more than a place of commerce, a place to buy and sell. Uh, in fact, Athens was famous as being a place where philosophers would come to the marketplace and talk to the crowds. People would go there to talk about politics and the events of the day, um, In fact, in a way, it's sort of similar to, I don't know, what social media sometimes is like today, as a place where you can exchange ideas and speak out to people and communicate. So the marketplace was really a natural place for Paul to go and speak, and people spoke back. In fact, Scripture mentions here that um, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were groups that debated with him. And of course, we're all familiar with the Epicurean and Stoic uh, uh, types of philosophy because we see them all the time in our regular lives. (laughs) You don't think you know about Epicurean and Stoic philosophy? Yeah, I think you do. We'll talk about it a bit. Scripture, you know, one of the things about Scripture is when they are in Scripture, when it's specific about something, there's usually a good reason for that. So here, this is a good reason to illustrate sort of the differences uh, in terms of these. Now, the Epicureans, uh, that branch of philosophy, thought that fulfillment was in life, was achieved through the pursuit of pleasure. Avoid displeasure, fear, and anxiety, but pursue pleasure as a main way of, of fulfilling life in terms of the way that they looked at gods, they said the gods were really not concerned with people or what they did. Now, you know, for a group whose focus in life fulfillment is pursuing pleasure, that's actually a pretty convenient way to look at God. Okay? If you're really trying to you know, get pleasure for yourself um, and maybe that doesn't work out so well for other people, it's a good idea to have gods that really don't care what you do. And of course, we live in many ways in an Epicurean society, the pursuit of pleasure. Then we have the Stoics. Now, the Stoics, they thought that fulfillment was found in accepting the course of events, just things as they are, including pain and suffering. You're supposed to endure them, but accept them. Um, and that things that happen, events, are just part of nature. They're controlled by faith, and we just need to accept those. Their thought about God was that God actually was nature and the universe. God was what happened around us. Um, so the Epicureans thought that God was essentially irrelevant and impersonal, The Stoics thought that God was relevant in terms of being around us, but again, impersonal, not someone who we could refer to. In a way, the Stoics remind me of the idea that uh, bad things are just God's will and we should just accept them. That's sort of the Stoic view. Um, Paul had a very different view of what fulfillment in life was and what God was. And I imagine that the debates that they had there in the marketplace were pretty intense at times and probably got quite heated. In fact, scripture says that um, they, some of the people just insulted Paul, they called him a babbler. Okay. And others said that he was advocating foreign gods when he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this accusation about foreign gods is not just an intellectual disagreement, in fact, Uh, advocating foreign gods was a criminal offense in Athens. In fact, 450 years earlier, Socrates um, was put on trial for advocating foreign gods, found guilty, and put to death. So, you know, debating can be quite dangerous. Um, But Paul was doing a dangerous job in spreading the good news, and he continued on. Of course, enough people were interested in what he had to say, or concerned enough about what he was saying, that they invited him to speak more. And that leads us back to our scripture verse for today. So starting verse 19 Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now at the beginning of uh, this passage, uh, when they talk about the fact that they took him to the Areopagus, It's probably more than an invitation. The original translation in scripture indicates that this was a little bit more of a command. You know, that they actually took him there. So as mentioned before, there was some danger involved. Maybe this was a place they were taking him so that they could accuse him and try him and uh, convict him. But Paul also saw it as an opportunity to spread the gospel to more people. And so they took him and he went. The Areopagus, a little bit about that place, it's a hill in the city of Athens. It's a hill where the city council would have their meetings to discuss things going on in the city. Um, But unlike a regular council meeting when they brought Paul there, the public was invited to come too. You see, um, this discussion and what Paul was saying and his ideas had become popular, actually kind of trendy, you know, for Athens. And you had all these people who just sat around all day and just... uh, would go and uh, you know talk about things and listen to the latest ideas so they all showed up because they wanted to you know, see the latest trendy speaker there in Athens. And, but Paul saw it as an opportunity. So he starts in his uh, talk by saying to the people of Athens that they are very religious, probably because there's 30,000 idols in the city. So... Um, but uses that as a way to speak about Jesus in the context of the city and what people knew about it. And he referred specifically to this altar with the inscription to an unknown God. He takes this inscription about an unknown God and uses it as a way to make God known. A way to proclaim the gospel to them because, as he said, they are ignorant of the very thing that they worship. And so he could teach them more about it. And this gets to what I think is my favorite part of this passage, uh, starting in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul, in making this proclamation to the Athenians, he's not just delivering a message to them about God, but also a message for us an answer to our question about where God is, uh, the truth about him, and where he is. He talks about the God who made the world and everything in it. The God who doesn't live in temples built by human hands. See, God's not limited by being in the temples in Athens or anywhere else. He's not limited to being reached by idols or the worship of idols. Doesn't matter that there's 30,000 of them. Doesn't matter if there's more idols than people. And it doesn't matter if there are even these intangible idols in our lives that might get in the way of our ability to see him. Paul says he's a God that's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's not limited by Epicurean or Stoic or any other philosophy that direct us away from him. And he doesn't require anyone to serve as an intermediary. There's nobody whom we need to go to to get to God. Paul says he's a God that gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Our lives and everything we have come from him. They're gifts from him. Everything that has been and is and will be comes from God. Now there's a reason for that. Um, Because God, that reason that God did all of this, uh, that he created us and everything around us, not just because he could not just to show us his divinity and his power, but the scriptures said that he did it so that we would seek him. He did it so that we would perhaps reach out for him and find him, but he is not far from any one of us. So we don't need to wonder where God is. He's right here with us. Right here, right now. We're here so that we would seek him, so we'd perhaps reach out for him and find him. He's not so far away that we can't do that, but we have to choose to do it. See, answering the question about where God is isn't just a geographic question. It's not like there's some place that we have to take a pilgrimage to go up on some mountain somewhere to find him. It's not a philosophical question, like there's some sort of intellectual series of steps that we have to take to reach God. It's not a question that's limited by us. It's not a question that's limited by our desires or our thoughts or what happens to us or around us in life. But it is a question whose answer requires some action from us. So whether it's a natural disaster or calamity, or an act of violence, a problem we see other people experiencing in front of us, or something bad happening in our personal lives, or anything else that leads us to ask the question, where is God? The answer is not far away. God is right here with us. But we need to seek him. We need to reach out for him. We need to take those steps. And if we do that, church, he can give us love at times where love seems rare and very far away. He can give us peace in the midst of strife, fear, and anxiety. He can give us answers at those times where all we seem to have are questions. But we can't just wait for him to show up and then despair when it seems like he hasn't. He's already here, but we need to turn to him, and if we do, he'll be there for us.